Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, bringing you another Saturday interview, a very special interview with a guy I have been a, bit, a huge fan of since I can remember. Let's welcome him to the show, Tony Carey. Tony, how are you? Great. Good morning. Do you realize how much your voice changed from our pre-interview <laughs> uh, conversation to your hello? I, I feel to, like I, I have pretty, to... You do that pretty well. Thank you. I, I feel like I have to just like jazz up the beginning of the show because the conversation oh, yes. can be interesting enough, you know. Hell yes. So I, I got to ask you first, you know, you've lived in America, you were born here, and now you're living yeah. in Germany. And I think we have this very romanticized idea of what Germany is like around Christmas time. What is the reality of Germany at Christmas time? Very romantic. All, okay. all, every little, I live in a little village and uh, I have uh, adult children in big cities, Munich and Berlin. And uh, I mean, it's a winter wonderland, and 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 in 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 the south, it, it's a white Christmas always, and mm-hmm. uh, they have these old fashioned. Uh, uh, w- w- yesterday, we were, my wife and and I mean, we went down and got a Christmas tree, at a, like an open air market, and most of the village was there, drinking you know uh, Christmas punch and eating bratwurst and mm-hmm. uh, and buying trees and basically a social event. But the real romantic, it is very, really romantic, old-fashioned, traditional yeah. Christmas here. I just imagine I walking outside it. and smelling the chocolate from the batisseries and yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I live on the on the Rhine River, which is about a mile that way. And you get on a boat and 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 just head south uh, on the Rhine. And the Rhine's a really major artery and it has been historically really important here for there were popes uh, in in the, the the big town next to me it was a papal uh, center about a thousand years ago and big history but the whole Rhine river's castles like uh, you know 1500 year old castles yeah. or 800 year old castles and all ruins and in here it's just fabulous i mean it's it's romantic as hell Somebody wrote me once, they were in Australia, a cousin of mine. She said, man, I, I just saw, we were just in a building that's 149 years old, you know. Wow. That's a Californian. What do mm. they know about, about old? <laughs> and I exactly. Said, man, I, man, I'd love to take her on a Rhine cruise and show her some knights in armor castles. I don't know how many puzzles I've done of the new Schwanstein castle, probably at least five or six over the years. Neuschwanstein. No, 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 yeah, is of course uh, I'm going to pronounce that wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's in of course it's in Bavaria. It was uh, built by the the crazy, the mad king Ludwig, mm-hmm. who drowned in the uh, Lake Starnberg, where our studio is. Oh, and wow. so he's he's like a big big theme, and you know you know how it, it is. It's on that mountain on the top. You you got to wonder how they got the the, the building, and it's so beautiful. I, I've been there a couple of times. You can take a tour, mm-hmm. and it's um, amazingly. Amazingly, they keep it up. It's not a, any kind of ruin or anything. It's just right. clean, it, and, and, and it reminds you most of, of a cathedral, like yeah. a like a gothic gothic cathedral. It's mm-hmm. fabulous. And I guess Walt Disney liked it enough to 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 steal a design for the Disneyland castle. Well, and you know, no one would build that today. They would just say, "Well, we can't get materials up there. It's too costly. Right. It's too difficult." You know, but boy, they sure yeah. did it when they didn't have the technology. You bet. Or, or, and they didn't have the money either. King, uh, this crazy King Ludwig bankrupted Bavaria. Actually, oh, wow, that was a big scandal, and uh, he was in all kinds of trouble the whole time. The Mad King, yeah. and all that's that's all romantic as hell. I love I love all that stuff, and. Yeah. Um, 
but no, today they 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 build some any anywhere they want, but it would be steel and glass, you know, just like, yeah. you know, just one of these horrors that are popping up in the Middle East and everywhere. I've never been to Germany, but my grandmother uh, was born in Bonn, and I think she lived most of her time there in Dusseldorf. Yeah, but that was been... that's a fa- that's a fancy city. That's the fashion mm-hmm. what the fashion center of of Germany. But that would have been during World War II, so not probably yeah. the best time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, they had a. They, I tell you what, after 1945, it was just desolate here, and every city, every major city, was bombed flat. Yeah. And uh, uh, they, they formed. They actually formed the country, the, the Federal Republic of Germany, in 1949, and those were hard years. And uh, but hey, they started it twice, and they lost twice. Well, I wonder, like, I think about our history here in the States, and I think about going to high school and what they taught us in history class. And of course, yeah. America always comes out well in the history classes. And yeah. We've had a few rough years over here, and and I wonder how they're going to teach that. How do they teach World War II in schools, or they do they just ignore it? I didn't pay much attention, but I read a lot. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm pretty, actually pretty well read in, in history and religion and uh um, natural sciences and this and that. I didn't go to college or anything. I, mm-hmm. I, I left, I left uh, at 17 and hitchhiked up to start a rock band mm-hmm. uh, the, the day high, the last day of high school in, in June of 71. And um, uh, I mean, we lived so much history. Like we had the, we had the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I was nine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we thought we all thought the bomb was going to drop. And, uh, uh, in America, and it was and in the '60s were crazy. We had eight assassinations, you know, with King and and, yeah. and Malcolm X and the Kennedy, both Kennedys, and just unbelievable. Kent State, the National Guard came in and and and, and shot students for protesting the the, the Vietnam debacle. Crazy, wild, wild, wild times. Half the reason I I, I was really interested in Europe. Is because I hated Vietnam and I, I dodged the draft. I actually got drafted and dodged oh. it with wow. a, a note from a, a, a very liberal doctor. Uh, at the last second, too, I was inducted and everything. And then, then they wow. came in and said, in New Haven, Connecticut, we were living in Connecticut. And mm-hmm. is there anybody here that thinks that they have a, a reason to be exempt? And I had this letter. I said, sir, you know, and so I mean, Wow. I don't know how much I, I know. I, I kind of remember what was in the letter, but it would disqualify me for high office. It's amazing. I, I tend to think a lot about how one little moment in time can completely change the course of your life. Yeah. And that that right there is one of them. I mean, if you didn't have that letter in your pocket or I would have gone, I would have gone to Canada. My mom was right behind me. And so was my dad. I would I would never, ever, ever go to Vietnam. That's what my grandfather said. He he told me because he fought uh, in World War II for America. And he said, uh, if it ever came down to a draft, I would take you and your brother and we would be over the border that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't you can't do that anymore. But this was uh, uh, 50 years ago. And um, uh, you could go to Canada. Now you can't go to Canada. If if you've got a DUI, they won't let you in, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, everything's in the in the computer and all this. But what's interesting is after the movie Saving Private Ryan came out, and of course my grandfather had long passed before that. Yeah, uh, I was watching the movie and I called my grandmother and I said, "I 
I'll leave it up to you whether you want to watch this movie or not because it's yeah. graphic and you know. Yeah. And she said that reminds me I have an article to send you. So a few days later in the mail I get a, a newspaper clipping from her and it's uh, a picture of these soldiers and the heading said uh, soldiers getting ready to board the boats to go to Normandy. Yeah, sure. Smack in the middle of that photograph was my grandfather. Wow. And, and then did, I did he did he survive that? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. the first few waves. Man, the boats were tipping, the landing boats were tipping over, they're drowning in all their gear, and then they have mm -hmm. to get on, on Omaha Beach or whatever, they, they had several yeah. beaches, mm -hmm. and and there was just withering machine gun fire, and it was like suicide, I mean, it's walking up suicidal, oh, yeah. but it had it had to be done now. Yeah, but uh, in that moment. That, I, well, that was that was the last good, good war. I right. mean, we had a we had a, a maniac that was uh, several maniacs that were going to take over the world. We had uh, Hirohito, and we had Adolf, and we had Stalin. And okay, we made a a, a pact of necessity with Stalin, but the uh, the Axis was they were dangerous. We, it, it's really possible we'd all be speaking German today. You know, I mean, yeah. you 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 I I am speaking German today, but right, you yeah. would be that you would be speaking German today. So right. that's a like a justified war. We were attacked. Yeah. You know, yeah. it wasn't a war for oil. It wasn't mm -hmm. a war for to stop the spread of communism. I mean, who gives a shit? Yeah, like, it wasn't about a piece of dirt or anything like that. It was yeah. literally survival of the world at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but in Vietnam and in Korea was right after that, and that was kind of stopped the spread of communism. But although China came over and invaded Korea, and so we went there, and it was my dad. My dad didn't serve in, in either of them. He was exemptions for both. He was too young for World War, for World War Two, and he had three kids by Korea. So, uh -huh. so he, he was exempted. Uh, I mean, if everybody was doing it, I, I might have done it because they made some sense. But starting with, well, the ones you never hear about, and then and then in the in the in the mid '60s Vietnam escalation. I mean, we're dropping napalm on children in, yeah. over there, you know, and Agent Orange to try to defoliate a jungle can't be done. Right. It wasn't done. We lost. Mm -hmm. And remember the fall of Saigon. I don't know how old you are, but the, the Saigon. All the pe people trying to grab on the, the last helicopter leaving the embassy, yeah. and and pretty much like what happened in Afghanistan recently, and and yeah. just horror, awful, yeah. and for nothing we gained nothing, and yeah. and millions of people were di displaced and, and murdered, in my opinion, fifty five thousand American kids, uh, the majority of them poor Southerners actually that didn't have a. Uh, uh, I don't mean the officer class. I mean, he enlisted the, the draftees mm -hmm. that didn't have liberal mothers who knew psychiatrists, you know? Yeah. And wow. I think I'll just, I'll just never understand. I, I get when people are insane that they're going to yeah. do things that are insane, but I, I'll yeah. never understand just the inhumanity of the it. The cruelty, all. how cruel yeah. it is. Yeah. True. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm 51, so I, I have not yeah. um, been of draft age. There was some concern during the Gulf War that that it might come to that, but I've never been in that position, thankfully. Had, were, they, were they talking about a draft for the Gulf War? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. there's, always, so there's always rumors anytime anything's yeah. going on, which now is yeah. every day, pretty much. Yeah, sure. You know? Sure. And I think the enlistment numbers are, 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 are way down because 
at least the Gulf War was, they were professional soldiers. They were there because they wanted to be there. And they they trained and they were dedicated and they had a, a chance. Mm-hmm. But you pull a kid out of the backwoods of Alabama and, and, and send him over to a jungle mm-hmm. and give him some basic training. And then there's these little men in, in black pajamas and rubber shoes made out of tires mm-hmm. who just walked all over them, you know, basically. And well, even if you horrific. gave them, even if you gave them solid training, there's yeah. a lack of experience. There's that, yeah. you know, the, in the moment, what happens, you can be yeah. as prepared as you want. And if you're not ready yeah. to fire on somebody in that second that you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a lot of, there's a lot of drugs taken in Vietnam. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that's the golden triangle. I mean, you get all the heroin you wanted and, and all the weed you wanted. And a lot of the, a lot of the troops were high and, uh, ah, war was, I mean, it was a joke. I could never understand it. The good thing about Germany, they know exactly how fucked up all that was. And uh, it's illegal here to give that Hitler salute Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or display a a swastika. It's it's not, it's illegal. You can get a a fine. You won't go to jail, but you you get in trouble. It's, it's, It's not legal. And that's about the only thing that's illegal is 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 showing any solidarity with with the what happened in the in the 30s and 40s uh, yeah. uh, on that end, and otherwise it was quite quite a liberal country, and nice. uh, everything everything works really smooth. It's not it's not socialism yeah. here. You know, I pay for my health insurance. You know, it's not it's not like France or or England or Norway or that's all like completely free mm-hmm. taxpayer money but it's completely free that you never right. get a doctor bill i don't get a doctor bill either but i pay it's based on your income but you know mm-hmm. i pay well that's that's one thing about musicians money. is that there's no real pool for having benefits like that like health care and stuff whereas actors in some situations can get that anybody self enough, but... anybody self-employed first yeah. of all mm-hmm. yeah and 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 anybody in 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 an entertainment industry. So anyway, and uh, uh, you know what pissed me off? Jimmy Bain died. Yeah, he was my my best friend in in Rainbow. We were buddies, and he was six years older than me. He died at sixty nine of undiagnosed lung cancer. Yeah, and that just wouldn't happen here. We get right. checkups, mm-hmm. you know, and he obviously didn't have health insurance like so many people he, he had, i guess he had a green card because he was living in america for years in, in southern california mm-hmm. but he didn't he didn't ever go to the doctor oh. and uh, i mean maybe maybe the lung cancer would have killed him anyway but it was undiagnosed they found it in the autopsy and, right. and that's disgusting i yeah. that's 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 bar- barbarous and i i have a hard time getting my my head around that no, I'm I'm with you, and there's always the debate about whether we're going to go socialized here or not. You know, I think it's not socialism. That's the point. Well, right, but I think socialism little, is something else. But okay, they can't charge what they charge for medication if they do that. If it's all yeah. regulated, and you know, yeah. that's a huge part of the industry here. Yeah, I'm really surprised that you haven't written a book. I feel like you would be a really good author. I would I would have been an author if I hadn't been a songwriter or a marine biologist. I would have been an author. I tell you what, you special. You, you specialize. Uh, there are there are a Japanese haiku poet. There, the 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 really strict rules in haiku. It's like eleven words. 
Right. Some are seven words. Mm. People who work half a year on a haiku. Yeah. And then there's songwriting, which is two or three vo- verses, a pre-chorus, and then a chorus, where it's so condensed that that every word counts. Mm. And I developed, I didn't start off as a, a really good lyricist, but I developed into a really good lyricist. And mm. it's like any other discipline, writing a uh, well, a novel or a, or a memoir, that's you, you got to put your 10,000 hours into something, you know, including long form literature. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to write a book. Uh, I never would because I'm not good at it. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not practiced at it. I never tried that's to fair. write long, long form. I did hone the, the four minute rock song into, you know, in, in, in my songs. And there's some that, that I cringe when I hear them. So the earlier ones, but in my songs, every word is in the right place, you know, mm-hmm. and and there's one and none of them are cliches. Uh, that's two. That's yeah. cliche alert mm-hmm. or, you know, superfluous syllable. It's got to fit. And it, that takes 10,000 hours. Yes, it does. I, I, I published 1,200 songs. Wow. Uh, uh, in um, since 1978. Since I started writing '79, and you know that's a uh, forty-five years, forty-six years, what it is, whatever it is, and uh, uh, twelve hundred songs is a lot. And yeah. uh, um, I mean, there's people that have that have published three thousand songs. That's a real lot. But uh, I, the, the, a long way around your question about writing a book, I, I found the form that I wanted to be good at, and did my ten thousand hours. Mm-hmm. Which you have to do it at anything. Yeah. Well, I think that's fair. I I just I I think you have some great storytelling abilities. Whether Hell you yes. have the ability to turn your hair white, <laughs> turn your hair white if you had any. If I had any, yeah. Uh, what if your first, or maybe it was your first band? I'm not sure. You were doing a lot of covers of the Mamas and the Papas. Is that right? No, that was okay. Okay, okay. That yes, yeah, that was my first band. I was 11. Wow. So you know, living it mom and dad's of course and yeah. uh i had a guitar i didn't play uh, keyboards uh, and uh, i had an acoustic guitar and we do california dreaming and then and and whatever they were doing uh, uh if you're going to san francisco all all that stuff and then later when I, on my 14th birthday i got a i got a uh uh an organ and not a Hammond organ, not an expensive mm-hmm. organ, a little home console unit that we didn't have a lot of money. And mm-hmm. uh, after that, I was gone. After that, I learned the first things I learned was the first two Doors albums, oh, you know, because yeah. they, they were organ dominated and vanilla fudge <laughs> stuff, all the stuff that had, you know, organ on it. Mm-hmm. And me and my brother, my brother and I, we always were mechanically minded, took everything apart. We figured out how to, this thing had these little dinky speakers and it sounded awful, but we figured out a way to, 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 to get directly from the amplifier section to a, to, to a jack where you could plug the guitar cable in and mm. put it into a guitar amplifier. Yeah. And that thing screamed like a banshee. It must've been <laughs> such an awful sound. And, but I was happy because it was loud. And uh, that and and our show was like play all the doors, well all the songs from the first two doors album, then play them again. So that was that was <laughs> us. 
That's what I got to say. I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Were you singing backups with the mamas and papas stuff? I always sang. Uh, and in in my real first group, after I left school, I left school with two guys. Uh, one of them was Michael Mugridge, who, who, who played with uh, Orleans uh, for several years. Okay. And um, and then we, we, we found a lead singer up in New Hampshire. We were in Connecticut. He hitchhiked up and we started a band. And we were, I played bass and uh, electric piano, and they both played guitars. And we, we all sang. Now, we had a lead singer, but we were like Crosby, Sills, and Nash. We had three-part harmony. In high school, though, I, would, I had a rhythm and blues group with some, actually some famous people that turned out to be famous. Neil Steubenhaus was the bass player. He's the, he played with Barbara Streisand, and he played with a million uh, uh, big bands. And he's the president, or was, of the Musicians Union in, in Los Angeles. Okay. So, I mean, he, he, you know, he had a career in music as well. And we would do Wilson Pickett, the rhythm and blues stuff, James Brown stuff, and I was the lead. I was the lead singer for that, and I, I loved that. I could I could hear that with your voice. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. And and we got a thing is we got a record deal. We got uh, uh we made found a guy that, that financed some demos of, of our songs, and ABC Dunhill gave us in today's money it would be millions. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was in 1973. But, uh, you know, all I was interested in is, wow, we got a record deal. And this was two years out of high school. And yeah. so we were good for sure, but we were lucky. And that's, and, and that's just as important as just to be in the right place at the right time. There's a lot of people that are good. Yeah. There's a lot of, t- lot of talent, a lot of charisma, and there's a lot of everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they, they're stuck in Boise and nobody's ever going to find them. And and we were in uh, Westport, Connecticut, which is right next to New York City, where the record companies were. Mm-hmm. And we'd found a guy, and they took us out to L.A. to Hollywood, West Hollywood. And I lived on a, we lived for seven months in a bungalow uh, at the Chateau Marmont Hotel, that's the hotel where John Belushi died, and all yeah. the movie star, legendary hotel, mm-hmm. right on Sunset Strip, and. Um, Problem was now. This is 1973, four and four. They gave us the wrong producer. The ABC Dunhill was doesn't exist anymore, but they were there. They gave us Gary Katz, who produced Steely Dan, and completely wrong producer. He he was notorious for not changing members, but changing groups. He'd have uh, oh. for every Steely Dan album, there's five different takes with five session guys. I mean, new guys every time. And it's just like, you wonder, am I going to be on the album? And, and all the versions are great. The first thing he did was fire our bass player and drummer, or had him fired, and hire guitar players for the two guitar players. And so we had Jeff Picaro on drums. Whoa. And his, his brother Mike on bass. Dean Parks, Skunk Bass, Baxter, Lee Sklar. Uh, all these Jeez. top... Yeah, but we couldn't get anything recorded mm-hmm. and, th- that would please Gary Katz. Mm-hmm. I like the guy, but he ruined us, and we we weren't going anywhere. We were there for two years and had it didn't have anything on tape. And we were in Village Recorders, Sound City, I mean, these huge name studios, and uh, spending all this money and just not getting anything. And... Uh, so 
we're rehearsing with Jeff and Carl on drums and Mike on bass and us three, the two guitar players and me, I'm playing Hammond. We're, we're, we're working out new material at SIR Soundstage in, uh, in Hollywood. And talk about moments that change your trajectory. And, and Richie was two doors down in another rehearsal studio looking for keyboard players because he had everybody else. He had Ronnie and Cozy and Jimmy. And he had 100 keyboard players come in and, and, and throw them all out. I didn't like any of them. Yeah. And heard my Hammond. I was not shy. He heard my Hammond through about, somebody heard it anyway, through about 10 walls, <laughs> sent Jimmy over to ask me if I wanted to uh, audition like, for, for uh, Rainbow. And I knew exactly what Rainbow was. Man on a Silver Mountain had been out, and it was huge in, in L.A. anyway. And of course, uh, California Jam, and it was on TV, oh, and then, uh, that great guitar smash, and all that, all that stuff. So, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll do that. But had we been making any progress at all on, on, I mean, I had a record deal, you know. And if, right. but if we'd made any progress in the two years of attempting, then I never would, it never would have happened, you know. I, I said, no, I can't, you know, I, I got commitments. But as it, as it, as it, as it was, I was completely yeah let's do it i'm out of here i'm I'm done with this shit let me ask you though working with with jeff beccaro did you get the inclination at that time that he would go on to become the famous drummer that he did he already was man he was the top la session guy and that's as top as you get yeah i mean that's not that's not household name famous or whatever but that's as that's from your peers that's the most respect you'll ever get you know yeah he was he was he was doing four sessions a day and a session, uh, a union session in LA is three hours. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was doing three or four sessions a day, him and Steve Lukather, David Page, and uh, David Hungate, uh, the, the, the guys that put Toto together. Mm-hmm. They, they were all over town. He, Jeff, I think, had three drum kits and, and three separate guys to go to the next studio with a new drum kit to set it up, waiting Jeez. for him to come over across town. And so he wow. was already like, one of the guys and yeah. and you know he played played on steely day he played boss skaggs played that beautiful boss skaggs record mm-hmm. that was basically toto right so yeah. so yeah i mean yeah i had an inkling that 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 he that he was he had sweated charisma i mean he was amazing amazing mm-hmm. groove master and he was only he's younger than i was and i was i was 19 he was only 16 at 17 Jeez. i think to have that yeah. position at that age that's just Insane. You don't appreciate it. I never, I never appreciated any of it. It just, it just, it all seems organic, natural. Of course, I'm yeah. here. I, right. you know, of course, I can play this music. I can play it in my sleep, and, mm. and because he, but Jeff had a, a, a Joe Picaro was famous or well known and certainly well respected as percussionist mm-hmm. and drummer, and uh, Marty Page, who was David Page's dad, was a well respected. I guess they could see the film film music and so all these kids came from they're they're born connected you know right. so they were and and they were all within 25 minutes of 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 where the studios were oh yeah you so gotta be you gotta be and uh so but you know when when things like that happens like the first time i was fine fine day was number one in, in rock radio mm-hmm. and my feeling i was a kid and i wasn't even i, I wasn't like a cocky type thing. I just, well, of course it is. It's the best song out this week. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, 
things just go by you. It's life. It's called life. And and you know, it is it, 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 forty years later now. I'm seventy. I think about well, that was something, wasn't it? But I didn't think so at the time. It just felt natural at the time. Well, you you had a pretty good solo career even back in the early '80s. I mean, you had some hits. What seven? I think that charted. Seven that charted. Two are top forty. Yeah. Uh, Five were top ten in the in the in the rock chart, the AOR chart, and that was that was actually the most important chart, radio chart. No, I mean the, the most important chart, of course, is the pop chart. But sure, yeah. But the one that what, what we were looking at as as most impressive was the radio chart, mm-hmm. and uh, all of those songs from the eighties are still on classic classic rock radio. Oh and, yeah, uh, and uh, basically keep the lights on here or half of them. And this is 40 years later. Isn't that amazing though, that, that music is so timeless when it comes to certain things feel dated, like short eras, like say disco feels really dated when you hear it, but good rock and roll, good pop music, that stuff feels really timeless. And I can tell you. So does does good disco. I mean, Chic or, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or, or the Bee Gees. I hated that stuff when it first came out. I thought that was just like, I was like rock and roll purist. Right. But today, when I hear it, I said, "Man, are those well-made records? Those, mm-hmm. those records, those, yeah." Yeah. Excuse me, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, I can tell you, growing up in Detroit, we had some—you know—we had quite a variety of radio stations there, and yeah. there, there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't either hear Vigilante or "I Won't Be Home Tonight" or "Why Me." I, yeah. I mean, it, you were there; you were very present in the radio, and I, I was. Love that. I was for for uh, eighty-two, three, four, and half of five, and actually eighty-one. I had a, a, a my first record came out there. I tell you what, I found out. If your next question is where did I go, I moved. <laughs> to, I, I'd been in Germany since '78. I came over here just to make a record uh, as a studio guy and play piano on somebody's record, and I loved it. And I stayed and I and I started making. Found a guy with a studio and started spending 24 hours a day in the studio and 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 then I got a record deal and and as happens if you put your 10,000 hours in and and you know the right people so i was on i was on MTV like heavy rotation in mm-hmm. 82 whenever it started late 82 3 and 4 with some tough city fine fine day uh why me static uh six or seven big videos and MTV didn't have a backlog of a million videos. They they had right. thirty videos and they played them. Fine, fine day was on four times a day, mm-hmm. and I hated that. Then I didn't I didn't like that much attention. I really didn't. What I liked was making records, and uh, so I spent four years traveling to America and then back home and everything. But I had young children here. Uh, Touring was such an enormous hassle. We 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 did, I did one tour. We we went from Miami to Anchorage, Alaska, in 112 days, and we wow. played 110 concerts. Holy me, crap! Me and my band, yeah. That's but, a, I mean, that's I was busy. You could do that when you're a kid, but did you feel anyway. some burnout though during with that with that heavy of touring, or is it like, hey, no, if I'm going to be out, I might as well play. I was a kid. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even have that justification. I just wow. said, "Well, it feels organic. It feels like something. You know, it feels like it's happening in in real time, and nobody's getting hurt. 
Well, and, as you as you were playing to some of the bigger crowds, you know, as as Rainbow was kind of gaining momentum. Yeah. Was it intimidating to go and play in front of a big group of people? Intimidating is to play in front of 20 people. To play in front of 20,000 people or 100,000 people. They're an oil painting. Mm. You're on stage and it's a high stage. And there's always this pit. And then there's there's the fences that people can't run. The closest person's going to be to you is going to be 15 yards away. Yeah. Good, at least ten yards away mm-hmm. from you. When 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 and 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 they'd have to be Spider Man to get up on stage. So so you kind of give you give them the thousand yard stare, and it's, it's like I I was pretending an oil painting. I never ever had a bit of stage fighting with, uh, or anything. And thank goodness, because I mean people like Adele, she gets stage fright. She yeah. throws up and and bundle of nerves and this and that. I'm sorry for the girl because she took certainly doesn't need to. She's brilliant. Right. But it wasn't one of anything that ever afflicted me. I, uh, I, I actually, I, I call it my gig switch. I have a switch in my head that I actually wake up when I'm on stage. It's, it's I come to life. Yeah. I mean, I play my best on stage. I never make, never make a mistake. Very, very, very rarely. And in, you know, in rehearsals, I'll make mistakes and stuff. But when you, when you're concentrated and they're there, then uh, it's. I keep coming back to this word organic things. Can't feel contrived. They have to feel like they're from from song lyrics to performing to who you're working with. It has to feel like right, like yeah. this moment is right. That's the way. Or like to to to, to be number one in the rock charts felt right. And then yeah. I don't say that with any. I'm not boasting at all. I no, just, I get it. But organically, it felt right. Everybody told me this is a great song. Look how much radio it's getting. I knew it was a good song, and I said, okay, that feels right. So. But I think that's part of the magic of the music from the 70s and, and early 80s, especially, is because before we had all the technology that we do now, yeah. you had to be able to play your instrument. You had to be able to write songs and you didn't have these formulas of this is how you write a pop song and, and that. It was very natural, honest music. And I think that's part of the attraction to that era, because I don't feel like we have that anymore. You don't have that any. I mean, you still have. There's a lot of talent. There's always going to be a lot sure. of talent. I mean, you get people, Taylor Swift with her billion dollar tour. That that doesn't come from nothing. Right. You know, she appeals to hundreds of millions of people and and all the all the names, the big names. And I'm not conversant with with hip hop. Don't I couldn't name the players except for the obvious ones. You know, Dre or Jay Z or Eminem. I know them, but I don't know anybody else. But, uh, but you know, th- these these guys sell 150 million streams, and they're and they're you know they're playing for in in arenas. That's talent. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Now, what happens in the studio? The laptop I'm talking to you on is a studio, mm. and if I had a master keyboard here and one microphone, I could make you a record that sounds like any rap record or, or any taylor swift record for that matter sure. uh with, with with software instruments and just, uh, one good microphone and some instruments and mm-hmm. and you gotta learn you gotta put your hours in on the on the on the on the software that you have to learn how to engineer right. which i did mm-hmm. which i did and as soon as i could like oh, i was yeah. in my 30s or I've, you can always, do yourself and have to yeah. depend on other people less the best the better off you are yeah but 
the seventies and, and and eighties. There's a great Tom Petty story, and I told you how before how uh, Gary Katz at ABC Dunhill, but basically Gary Katz killed my first band to get a record deal. Tom Petty came up just a couple years later, I think 76. And I guess they worked with um, Ted Templeman. I guess it was Warner Brothers. I, whatever. I think Ted Templeman was a producer, well-respected yeah. producer. Mm-hmm. And he says, we did 100 takes of Breakdown. Whatever the first big hit, I think, was Breakdown. Uh, and that's exactly what my band needed, is to go in a studio and learn how to record. But how are you supposed to know that? But in, in my case, the, the, the producer says, you guys don't have to do anything. And he makes phone calls and all these top names show up. And first of all, that gives the band a really generic sound because they're, they're, they're on half of the top 30. Right. And these same guys it mm-hmm. all comes from the same place. And secondly, and, and most harmfully, the band never learns how to, to work the studio environment, which you need to do. Yes. And so I heard this. I was so jealous. I heard Tom Petty said, yeah, we, we did 100 takes of, of, of Breakdown and, mm-hmm. until he was satisfied playing together as a band, right. you know, and, and then they do, they do the lead vocal later, just scratch vocal, but then they overdub the lead vocal and overdub some guitars, overdub some keyboards, whatever, but they get the track, the groove, the, the, the drums, the vibe, they get mm-hmm. that in a take. And it took them 100 takes which is probably a week in the studio, you know, or you know, five days or whatever it is, more a week. And, uh, and he learned his, his trade with, with, with that kind of producer. So, well, that's the only way you're going to is to just get right. in there and do it, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Unless, unless you got some guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room that says, nah, we're, we're, let's call the wrecking crew, like the Beach Boys did, you know, let's call yeah. Let's call Carol Kay to play bass, and, and I was ten years later. So let's, let's call Lee Sklar to play bass. And well, I was going to say get, it's kind of the same thing as the Wrecking Crew, right? Because that's yeah. why so much of that music sounds so much the same, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And yeah. Uh, and the thing is, it's not like we couldn't. You know, we we got a we got we got the record deal because we had some charm. Obviously, yeah. I mean, you know, somebody put a lot of money down, signed us to an exclusive recording deal, so. We were we were we were like, that's a plateau. You start from nothing in the rehearsal room, and then you you get signed to a major label. That's a big plateau. Yeah. But the next plateau is is doing the first album, and the hardest plateau is following it up with another album, because because after the first one, the first one you're you're doing songs you might have written when you're ten, and and you got this big cat. But the second one. There's songs that are, you've written since the first one. Not as much time. You've been out on the road promoting it. It's much more, the sophomore record is much more pressure. Uh, everybody's looking at you with this, this you know, uh, can I going to be able to do it or not? So I always look at Guns N' Roses as, as the example of that. You know, they had written Appetite for Destruction. They'd been playing yeah. those songs forever. And then all of a yeah. sudden the record company's like, hey, you guys are a big success. Let's get another record going right now. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. This took yeah. us a long time to put together. That's yeah. a whole nother world of pressure. Yeah, you bet it is. Uh, Richie uh, told tells the story that he hated this this interview he gave in the 60s or maybe 1970 right around uh, uh made in japan time 
maybe 72 even. 72, yeah. And he said, he said uh, you know, they want, we're successful and we're not playing clubs anymore or theaters. We're playing, you know, big shows. Mm-hmm. And they want us to, to tour and then they want a record. And he said, a band needs at least a year for a record. Supporting Richie from 1972, mm-hmm. and I say a band needs two years for a record if they're gonna if they're gonna promote it. And uh, he made the suggestion. This is actually pretty funny. He didn't like America uh, in 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 those days. The distances yeah. were too great, and he probably didn't like the people that much or whatever. He didn't like the record executives. He said, "I'll play guitar for Europe, and you get somebody else to do America <laughs> for, for deep." For Deep Purple, which is hilarious. And oh, could you even imagine? Yeah, no. that's, that's that. What that didn't go down didn't go down well. But he meant oh, it. Yeah. He, yeah. he really meant it. You know, he says, "I'll I'll I'll do England. I'll do Europe. I'll do Japan. Great, but get somebody else from America." And of course, now he lives in New York, which is this is the yeah. funny part. Uh, yeah. Well, let me let me ask you one question about Rainbow. The the two albums that obviously you're most noted for are Rising and On Stage. Yeah. And, I can tell you, you know, you mentioned Man on the Silver Mountain. For me, that song came alive on the onstage version. There was so much energy in that song that I really feel the album was definitely a different, lacking version for me. All of Rainbow Studios recordings were 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 unfortunately clinical. And uh, that one especially, his first album that he made with the with the elf guys, especially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it had cool things going on and this and that, but yeah. it was about half the tempo of the live version. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, everything we played was too fast. I mean, everything. Cozy was like, it was Cozy egging Richie on and Richie egging Cozy on. And and the Kill the King was like double speed. And, yeah. and, and Star, I've heard versions of Stargazer that were like double, double the speed. And that deep groove from the record, from Rising, just isn't there. Right. So that that's a, that's a mixed blessing, but mm-hmm. as far as energy goes, just raw energy. That because because the, the the fan and the, the, the bought the ticket and bought the t shirt and has the album and just can't. This is because there's no MTV or there's no social media. Yeah, has very little information except what he reads in Cream magazine, as we discussed earlier. So he doesn't care how fast as long as he just feels the 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 atom bomb exploding on stage you know right yeah yeah and that well, uh, and that that band had amazing energy uh it, 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 when, when, when the five of us would play something it was never less than like very energetic oh yeah and and i could tell you i memorized every note from your your playing on still i'm sad especially from the on stage album because it's just such the feeling of it is really amazing it's a whole journey that you take us on on that song well, I was the prog guy, of course. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that was that's completely prog, and uh, uh, that's what made the band a little bit different than, say, Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. They were later anyway, or Judas Priest. They were later, yeah. later too. I mean, the the prog touch, uh, and I never played the same thing twice ever in my life. And if you'd heard the the night, the next night, it would have been a completely different solo. I've heard, right? Yeah. I've heard about five different versions of that of, of, of the, the 76 tour. One of them is uh, on stage, which is cut from several shows. Right. And one of them's live in Nuremberg. It's just, just the Nuremberg show. One of them's from somewhere else. One of them's from Paris, whatever. And I never played this even close to the same thing twice. It was all, it was all about 
uh, improvisation. But see, that's and, uh, the beauty. I'm of glad you. Li- I'm glad you liked it, but I. Oh, yeah. it, but I have no idea what I did. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but that's what I don't like about the idea of people playing to tracks now is that you're missing that spontaneity. You don't have the ability to do, really, just expand on anything. You mm-hmm. know, uh, David Stone. When I interviewed him, he told me that. In the middle of a show, Richie would send his roadie over to say, you got a 20 minute solo coming up, get ready. And just yeah. like that, you know, you got to, did he do that kind of stuff to you? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, well, actually, Richie fired me on stage. On he stage? Fired, he, yeah. He fired me three times and, yeah. and couldn't find, couldn't find anybody and came back and had I been older and more experienced, I would have said, no, no, thanks. I'll do sure. something else. But, but, you know, I was 21. Yeah, fired me on stage in England somewhere, wow. and uh, I, I I don't know why. Uh, uh, he was he'd had a couple. He drink he drink. We we would drink. We weren't a druggy man, but we would drink. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know he was just in a shitty mood. He came over in the middle of a song. He said, "Why don't you just go home then?" <laughs> so I'm way Jeez. too proud. I said, "Good, see ya." Went back to the hotel, packed up, got a plane ticket. Wow. And then the band, the rest of the band came and said, ah, they're all panicked because we're in the middle of this world tour. Yeah. And we, we reached an agreement and I, I ended up not leaving. But wow. yeah, I, I tell you, I fuck up my musicians. I, 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 I got a new drummer about 12 years ago in my band. My, my musicians, my band are the Norwegian guys. I love Norway. I love Norwegian people. I love the culture. They're, they're, they're cowboys. They're, they're rough and ready. And my drummer, you know how a drum solo is always toward the toward the end, right? And second show we played after the first song, I said on the drums, and I guess said his name, and he just sure did his drum solo, you know. But you just just to, you know just to fuck him up, I was joking, you know. Right. But but I wasn't joking because I knew mm-hmm. he could do it. Of course. I said, yeah. I said, you know, let's have some let's have some fun. Who cares? And they fucked me up. We're in the middle of of, of something. One of my songs, Blue Highway, or one of my songs, which has an arrangement, and all of a sudden it's reggae, and, and <laughs> like, like, like they'll, they'll give each other a nod behind my back, and all of a sudden it's complete reggae, like it could be in, in Kingston, Jamaica. Wow! And so I gotta go with it. It's funny. It's hilarious. But it makes it fun too. It's not just yeah. playing the same set every night. And yeah. So one last question about Rainbow. One thing yeah. I'm very curious about is when we talked about Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, the first album was very dry and studio sounding. Yeah. Rising is very lush. I mean, that album just sounds huge. There's not a lot of open space in it. Very much yeah. like Burn. Burn was another album that I think was just yeah, huge was sounding. Uh, was, that, was that a conscious effort to make it sound that way? Or nothing, did that was, just nothing, nothing was conscious, first of all, at least from my side. I'm oblivious. So let's, just, let's take that as the starting point. Okay. What anybody else's game plan might have been, I have no, no clue. I'm oblivious. Okay. Mm-hmm. We did Rising in 15 minutes. I mean, it was, it was in and out. We had a couple of unnecessary rehearsals. We didn't need them. In a freezing cold uh, farmhouse outside of Munich. I know where it is now. I didn't then. It was my first time in Germany. Mm. And uh, we had, everyone was wearing like sheepskin coats and playing. We were completely unnecessary. Then we went right into Musicland Studios, in which is Giorgio Moroder's studio, where he did like Donna Summer and all that. Yeah. But then who'd been there? Queen had been there. The Stones had been there. It had, was kind of an in place. And it was in the basement of, of a hotel. So you could live there and just take the elevator down to the studio. And, and it's very practical. And I think we did 
it flew by. I mean, it was we were there. I was there fourteen days at the most, and I think we, I played like three of them, you know, and uh, uh, you know, got to beat the jet lag, and then we did some rehearsing that we didn't need to do, and then we just went in and did it. Uh, Ronnie took longer that mm-hmm. because the as you know the the like Stargazer's spectacular piece of songwriting and the the, the melody I could take issue with some of the the wizard and 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 dragon's lyrics that's a, a subjective taste sure. question I I wouldn't write that but whatever Ronnie did write that and he wrote it for that genre perfectly mm-hmm. but the vocal is astounding and the guitar solo the slide guitar solo it's in in, in, astounding Mm -hmm. and you know richie did that alone with martin birch and ronnie did his vocals after we'd all gone home with richie and ronnie and 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 martin birch so that probably took longer maybe that took an extra week yeah who knows and then when was when were the strings brought in i wasn't there and by the way you don't hear the strings that's me i played I play, they're there. I can hear them like sawing away. Mm-hmm. But I know the problem with orchestras. Orchestras are always behind the beat. The conductor's doing this, and the orchestra's somewhere back there, and these 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 straight guys, Munich Philharmonic, are playing something that's actually way easier and just space than than a Tchaikovsky Symphony. Right. And they're you know, they're doing it for the money and they're behind the beat. And there was no pro tools, you couldn't speed them up, couldn't you couldn't and I heard stories about the mixing. It was it was almost an orchestral song. And then bit by bit they'd take the orchestra out. The orchestra's there in the last two minutes of the of the of the of the fade. The rest is I had a a, a string machine that sounded pretty much like an orchestra, and I had a, a orchestron which sounded like a, a mellotron. It's a mellotron that used uh, floppy disks. Right, yeah. Yeah, there was only a few of them made, and I had one because Richie bought it and mm-hmm use it on stage that's why there's not very very much orchestra in stargazer interesting i did not know that but you're right they always are a little bit behind and nowadays you would just take that clip and you would just shift it just enough to lock it into the beat right yeah yeah Yeah. or you would or you you do it at at abbey road with with the lso uh uh, london symphony orchestra who do pop sessions every day now right at that time it was almost almost unheard of you know Mm -hmm. like and and this we're talking like nearly 50 years ago or 47 years ago or whatever it is 48 years ago almost yeah. and uh it, it wasn't an everyday thing well let's let's call it orchestra and, and when they say orchestra i have no 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 idea how many pieces but it was only strings i mean i yeah, don't hear any, like four, I hear any four or six guys you know just yeah, just coming yeah. in and maybe yeah. doing a couple of passes but yeah yeah i know. mean i don't hear i don't hear french horns oh, i don't no. hear I don't hear woodwinds. That's, well, right. that's that's an orchestra. You, you wouldn't know. ever hear a woodwind in that song. It would never cut through everybody you know. else. You know. You know. Yeah, but, but those, that, that's, both, both yeah. of those albums are interestingly are Christmas albums for me because we we got them. You know, as we were discovering Rainbow's back catalog, because I yeah. learned of them from from uh, Straight Between the Eyes. So going oh, into the back oh, yeah. catalog, we got those. Who, right say, who say Christmas. that one? Was that Joe or Graham? That was Joe. Yeah. Yeah, Grandma's on Down to Earth. And, okay. uh, and only that album. But, we're all uh, buds. We're all friends. Uh, me and Joe, Graham, Doogie. Oh yeah, we're all, we're all buds. Yeah, we see each other as often as we can. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, like, I had lunch with Graham a couple years ago when I went to LA for the Nam show. Yeah. And uh, he, he and Beth and me and, and Conrad, who's their guitar player for uh, yeah. the Graham Bonnet band, such wonderful people. They're great. 
It's yeah. great. And Doogie and his wife uh, and, and I were in Warsaw last year for a show that, that was kind of a tribute to John Lord, actually. Oh, yeah. And, and I got to spend two great days with Doogie. And uh, I, I was in a band with Joe for about a month. We called it Over the, Over Rainbow. the Rainbow. Yeah. Well, I, it didn't last. I got cancer. I mean, in 2009. So I, I couldn't do it. I did one tour. I did a tour of, of Russia. Then I got sick and, you know, couldn't do it. But Joe's a great guy. I love Joe. I love all these guys. Greg Smith is a, is a, is a Bobby Rondinelli. I talked to him this week. Mm-hmm. These guys are they're, they're great guys. The X Rainbow. There's about 112 of us. <laughs> I talked to Bobby a couple of times back in the MySpace days. That that tells yeah. you how uh, how long ago that was. Really nice yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling now? How are you doing these days? I'm great. I'm old. One thing, I'm old. Sure. I mean, I'm really getting old. I'm seventy. I never thought I'd be seventy, so I'm happy to be seventy. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I work. I'm all the work I can. I can handle, and uh, yeah. I play with uh, uh, a couple of huge acts. Uh, and and we tour. Uh, you won't know either of them, but but uh, an act I play with it's called Mandoki's Soulmates, and it's been thirty years. And wow. it, it, this guy Leslie Mandoki is the the band leader, and we had it's a revolving musical collective. Right now we have Randy Brecker, uh, Richard Bona, Corey Henry, Al Miola, Mike Stern, me. Uh, Till Bruno, you don't know him. He's a genius trumpet player, mm-hmm. and just top people. And in the yeah. in the band, since I've been in the band, we had Jack Bruce till he died. We had Greg Lake till he died. Chaka oh. with Chaka Khan, we had a Spice Girl. Mel wow. C. I Terrific. love Greg Lake. Absolutely love his voice. Uh, uh, Al Miola. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing, amazing. He's a stout. He's a He sits right next to me on stage too. It's it's and then right behind me is Randy Brecker. I mean. God on trumpet and it's and a, a tough life, isn't dear, it? And a dear friend. And so we're all we're all friends. So I I do this. This is a project, the Mandoki's Soulmates. Google it. It's on YouTube. There's videos, and uh, we play for like 30, 40, 50,000 people, and we play for governments. Wow! Like we play, we're playing, we're playing in Berlin uh, in August, Germany here, and uh, in front of the Brandenburg Gate, and that's the won't tell you anything if you don't know your history, but that was the dividing line between East and West Germany. Right. Yeah. And and we're we're playing there, and then it could be half a million people there. It's 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 not ticketed. It's free. We play for for governments, like I say. Sure. Yeah. And we play Budapest every year for thirty to fifty thousand people, and it's on their national holiday. It's it's not ticketed. You know, anybody mm. can come that wants to. We're playing in. Um, Munich at the it's called the residence is where the where the king used to live and we're playing open air in front of this this is all is all like five star super comfortable uh wonderful gigs and uh, we play four hours sometimes wow that's fantastic because yeah, Al Demiola won't shut up and neither will Mike Stern <laughs> and you know you're gonna tell Al Demiola that you know yeah not. of course not right. Well, and not. I'll have that uh, that link in the show notes for you guys so that you can go check that out. Um, yeah. I want to ask you, as a songwriter, how do you decide when a song is done? When you're like, okay, I don't need it's to never do done. A, re- a song is done when all the words work. A recording is never done. 
Mm. I tell you what, I if I could, I'd go back and remix every album I ever made, and that's about 30 of my own, uh, 10 greatest hits uh, compilations, and about 50 that I produced for other people. If I had my way, I'd go remix them all starting now. The, the, the recording is never done. I mean, I, I think a painter has to, and an, or an author has to feel exactly the same way. Oh, yeah. shit, why didn't I do, you know? Mm -hmm. and, but a song is done when, when I can sing it. When I can sing it through, uh, as a first the first demo vocal, I, I always work the same. I do I'll do a keyboard track, usually piano, with with some kind of percussion, drum usually drum machine, mm -hmm. and uh, and I'll work the vocal out. And I'll have scratch pads full of you know ideas, and I'll boil that down to its essence, and it take a day or take two days or whatever. And then I'll have a, that's a vocal that sits it sits in the in the song. There's no cliches. No alarm bells went off. It tells the story I wanted to tell. That's an art in itself. Uh, the writing a bridge is, is is its own thing because the bridge is eight or sixteen bars in the middle that that have to actually sum up the story you're telling with verse one and two, mm -hmm. and and then chorus and and the bridge has to be a, like a sidebar to that that kind of wraps everything up. It's, it's an art in itself. So yeah. that's when a song is finished. Interesting. So, now, when a recording's have, finished, the answer is never. So, yeah, if it, that's why I really have a hard time listening to my own stuff because I'm like, oh, I should just put a little more EQ on here. I should just beef up this a little bit, and I can drive myself nuts doing that. Oh man, tr tr truly nuts. Working under a deadline is is a good thing. It is. Which I never have deadlines. If I did, I'd be more comfortable. My my last studio album that I released is Lucky Us, mm -hmm. and. It started off as a normal album. It had drums, had orchestration, had uh, guitars, had bass, really? had choirs. And what ended up is piano, my voice, mm -hmm. and uh, some uh, orchestration out of the box. You know, and 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 a, and a, a trumpeter plays on two songs, a real yeah. trumpet. Very uh, minimal synthesizer. Just yeah, that took me four years to make because I kept thinking. There's, I'll give you an analogy of the Japanese garden and the Japanese gardener. The Japanese gardener's job is not to add plants, it's to remove them. And he'll have this, this babbling brook and the stones affect the tone of the, this is all this Zen stuff. So he'll, his whole, what he'll accomplish in a day's work is move two stones and take two away. Mm -hmm. I mean, like complete your your basic min minimalism and just like japanese haiku poetry they're limited to 11 words or mm. whatever seven words or 14 there are different forms so once i decided you know what let's try hawkeye road with nothing that's the first song on lucky us right yeah with nothing except my voice and and these and and, and some strings in the chorus mm. and i liked it and then I, and i basically went through it's like pulling teeth or murdering children. I basically took all these thousands of, of hours of, of, of overdubs and, uh, and, and, and fiddly stuff out of it until finally there's a little percussion on one song. Uh, a drum comes in and, and the second verse of one song. And otherwise, the whole album is, is piano and a vocal, basically. Yeah. And that took me so long. I mixed that so many times. And uh, I personally think, I think it's my best album. And 
uh, so do a lot, actually a lot of people, a lot of people, because my shows, I'll play just guitar and piano and sing and tell stories. And say, well, I like, a lot of people like this record because it was like his shows, it's, that's what he does. Just, you know, it's just piano and things. So what, what, are, what are your two questions? Well, I can tell you, first, I, I've always loved your voice. Going back to the stuff that you were doing in the early 80s, I was like, God, I wish I had a voice like that because you got just a little bit of grit in there, but yeah. you still sing really smooth. You, yeah. you tell a story very well. Yeah. When I heard Lucky Us, yeah. every song on that album, Tony, is yeah. unbelievable. Every one of them touches yeah. me in one way or another. Thank you. It's the way I, it's the way I feel about it too. And I'm not boasting. This yeah. feels organic. That's 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 one of the ones where I think no cliches. There's zero cliches. Mm -hmm. There are important topics to me. Yeah, which means that out there somebody's going to relate to them. Mm -hmm. And they're all, yeah. I, I I feel I feel the same way about the album. Were it's, you shocked that there's no drums and bass and guitar? I wasn't sure what to expect. I always try and go into an album I've never heard with a very open mind. Like I don't know what this is going to be, so I'm just going to yeah. listen and soak it in. But yeah. uh, my favorite two were probably Hawkeye Road and Hallelujah I'm Alive. Those yeah. two in particular really struck me. But the recording you got is amazing the piano sounds just huge and rich yeah and gentle at the same time you did an amazing job capturing the it? sound of that piano it's not a piano it's a it's a computer program damn it That's, yeah i mean <laughs> these are all there's no real instruments on it except for the my buddy the trumpet player that played on the wind okay and 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 one other but uh they're all virtual. They're called virtual instruments. Oh, yeah. And like I said, well, I'm talking to your, to, to your greater, to, to the public. Yeah. Like this laptop I'm talking to you on mm -hmm. has got a full orchestra, 20 drummers, anything you want. If you can figure out how to work the software. So, so you just complimented me on the piano recording. It's not a piano recording. It's a sampled piano. It's just, the trick is to find the, one, the piano that fits the song. Right. And okay, it, well, and, native and, instruments and, and, are... Know, yeah, it's, 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 it's signed to Steinberg and, oh, and Steinberg, uh, yeah. Pianotech. There's a Pianotech in it. I have, a, I have all of them, actually, but it's, it's one of those. I don't yeah. even remember. But uh, that's, where, that's where it comes in handy to learn how to engineer, you know? Yeah. Is to, to get the EQs, because I want it... I did not want it bright, and if I hear it back today, I don't think the vocal's loud enough, so... Mm -hmm. uh, recordings recordings never finished we heard one song in a car yesterday my wife and i i thought well that's a great song and i didn't recognize it she said it's you idiot i said oh <laughs> and it was the one called all i ever wanted mm -hmm. and i said well well turn it up so she did i said the vocal's not loud enough turn it off <laughs> well, I, I, could, I could go remix it right now we're going to be our own worst critics when it comes to our work there's no doubt hope about so. that i hope yeah. so yeah yeah uh, well, no one else is going to come in and fix it for us, so it might as well be you us. Bet, you bet. So my last question for you, and thank you so much for your time. It, it's just been so much fun talking to you. Um, you have done some film scores. And that, Tons. that is a whole different approach to songwriting. That's not, you know, verse chorus. This is tempo maps and matching visuals. And did you find that uh, an, an easy transition when you started? Or yeah, you... yeah, it's very, yeah. very natural. I love it. We have we have one screen showing the rough director's rough cut. Mm -hmm. Another screen with uh, actually, I use Logic. I don't use Pro Tools, but it's it's, it's a music software program, kids. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a keyboard, a master keyboard to control this. And uh, it's just me and an, an engineer. I need an engineer. I can't do that by myself. So it's, it's me and an engineer. There's too mm-hmm. many too many things going on. Yeah. And 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 actually watching the movie on his, you know, like a big 4K TV, and you know, playing something that seems to fit, mm-hmm. and then uh, to to exactly the right length, you know. Yeah. So that's fine. So then we take the movie off. And I'll just I'll just flesh out the thing because I know how exactly where it's going. Right. I know exactly exactly how long it's going to be, and I've got an idea. And then we'll I'll do some more. Then let's just, let's see it with the film again. And yeah, that works. No trumpet's no good. Yeah, now it works. That's why it's good. So there will be first film I did. The second film I did was called Gefangen in Yemen, and it was a, a, which means a captive in Yemen. Okay. And it's uh, it's my buddy Peter Maffei, who's a huge rock star, uh, it, the, the biggest in Germany. And he, like people do, he made two feature films. And I, I did the music to both of them. And, uh, and I think there were 70 copyrights on, on that. I mean, because some of them would be 15 seconds, some of them would be three yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, about three of them are sung songs, you know, actually three sung real songs because we needed, we wanted a single, which we had, uh, and then the rest of it was instrumental. But, but you, you know, you don't bundle it into film music, Gefangen in Yemen. You, each one of those is a, uh, is, is a copyright. It might not be yeah. 70, but, it might be, but it's 40 for sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, well, that's one way to get to 1,200 songs a little quicker. Doing, <laughs> that's true. Doing, I, I, I doing can, a lot of film. That's been my experience as well. Yeah. I remember that the first one I did, you know, you watch films and you think, oh, yeah, I would probably do something like that. You watch Hans Zimmer yeah. or John Williams. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And then yeah. when you get your first one and there's nothing yeah. there. Right. That's it's a blank piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. That's a little exactly different. Right. And you're like, oh, shit, I have to do all that exactly. now. <laughs> exactly right. Remember Interstellar? Oh, Yeah. That's my. I think that's my favorite. Is, uh, and and I saw a documentary how, how Hans did it. He, those are real pipe organs mm-hmm. in in real European cathedrals, and 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 in England I think he had one. And just amazing. Just the whole the whole this whole this whole thing. This Oscar winning soundtrack is actually done on church organs, on pipe mm-hmm. organs. And then there's a then he went into with the orchestra a little bit, but it's mostly pipe organ. From around the world and yeah. fabulous. I love that. I love that. It's nice when you have the budget to be able to do that kind of thing. They don't do that much anymore. The uh, I have friends that that were in the TV game. They like they would do TV series, mm-hmm. and they make a lot of money. And uh, these days, that that's pretty much not the case. I mean, if you're of course if you're Hans Zimmer, you get and you have a, a you, Doing a two hundred million dollar movie, you get money, of course. Sure, yeah. But for but but just as a film composer, it's very 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 difficult, and it's changed. Uh, and there's, there's so much uh, license free music available, or so people so so many people that are willing to do a ninety minute film for five thousand bucks, which is like eight dollars an hour. You know. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many people desperate in that that they'll take that job, you know. Yeah, I did, it's a shame. I, for for the for the first movie I did was one of a Peter Maffei movie as a soundtrack. It was a quarter million bucks, and this is this is in the '80s, and and that was not extravagant. That was like a a normal you know budget, and uh, 
I have my own studio and, you know, I bought the stuff I needed from that advance, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's an advance. It wasn't a salary because they released the record as a soundtrack, you know, the CD. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was like a record deal, although they used it for the film. So right. you can't complain about the, 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 the money. And uh, I had a director that took everything. He, the only thing, one time said, can you do something like, would, like draw heavy drums here in this one action dance? Yeah, sure. But other than he took everything. He wasn't one of these guys that says, oh, I don't like the cello. You're nothing. He didn't care. He's like, mm-hmm. he's just after the vibe. Mm-hmm. And that's that's your ideal situation for. for oh, film. yeah. That's pretty rare, by the way. Really but. rare, really <laughs> rare. And and talking to colleagues that still do that, it's it's. I was the right time in the right place, baby. Seventies and eighties. Mm. So, what are you? Are you working on a new album or anything now? I just finished a Soulmates album with Leslie, and, and we've got. Uh, uh, in fact, if you you mailed me a couple of times, uh, I've got your address. I'm going to send you a wee transfer. It's oh. uh, it's it's mixed. It's been mixed for a week. It'll come out next April. I'll se- I'll send it over to you. You, oh, you thank won't you. believe you won't believe this. And that'll be fun. We worked a year on it, and uh, uh, really old school and old school budget, and mm-hmm. and uh, you 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 won't believe it. I am looking and, forward to this. Uh, other other than that, no, I'm not really doing anything for myself. I don't really have anything to say. The world's really fucked up. Yeah, it, from from me me from here looking over there, mm-hmm. and there's nothing I really want to say at the moment. But uh, I'll be doing three tours this summer. Um, like I said, we'll get to China, we'll get to uh, San Diego, Santiago, Chile, wow. and we'll do a few in in Hungary and a few in Germany. And one guy's doing uh, his farewell tour. This is my friend Peter Maffei, uh, wh- whom I did the, the two movies for. Yeah. He's doing his farewell tour, and he's seventy-five. It's not—it's a real farewell tour, right? And we're playing football stadiums, you know, and that'll—that'll that'll be fun. And yeah, just keep—you gotta keep putting one foot in front of the other, you know. So I think what you're saying, Tony, is that now that you're not working on anything, you got time to mix some old albums. <laughs> I hear that from my wife, and I hear that from everybody. Says, Write a book, make a new record. Leave me alone. If you're not inspired, that's the thing, though. If you're not inspired, it's not going to make you happy. You know, sometimes I I really feel like I got something to say, you know, and uh, 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 just music for his own sake. Like in the old days to fulfill a contractual obligation and you knew they were going to promote it and it was going to be an MTV. That's its own motivation. You know, you're doing it because for your career. But these days. There's a hundred thousand songs a day go on Spotify that yeah. nobody ever hears, mm-hmm. and there's no record labels. Yeah. And Sony, uh, which is the big biggest label here, Sony and Universal, Sony, yeah. 2024 will be the last year they they produce any physical product, CDs, LPs, nothing. It's yeah. they're all it's all streaming, mm-hmm. and what Sony does, the rest are going to follow suit. And by 2027 or something. They just won't be making anything. There'll be little custom labels doing, uh, buying, licensing albums and pressing vinyl for sure. Yeah. But the CD is like history. It's gone. It had 40 yeah. years. It's gone. So uh, one thing to get you motivated is, is, is the deadline. Deadlines are good. And, uh, 
and also the thought that maybe actually somebody will hear it. But anything I, I record or release today, like Lucky Us, nobody's going to hear that. And nobody has heard it. And nobody, you know, I'm happy that it's there. It's mm -hmm. a, like a legacy thing. Yeah. But, you know, nobody nobody gave me a budget for it. You know, I paid for it. That makes me sad because it's such a great album. It really is. From tell you, tell all your tell all your friends. It's called oh, Lucky I, Us. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm telling you, I'm telling your audience. Yeah. It's called Lucky Us. It's by me. My name's Tony. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. Yeah. It costs and I, you nothing. You know, it's free. And it's I free. always encourage people, I, I'll put the iTunes link in the, the show notes because I always encourage yeah. people to buy albums from artists because that's how artists stay artists. Yeah. I'm not a fan of streaming. I think it's it's great to say, hey, this is what I've got now. Now that you like it, please go buy my stuff. Yeah. Something is, my father told me this when I was just a kid, something is worth what somebody else will pay for it. Yeah. Uh, and since, like, like porn used to be expensive, mm -hmm. now it's free. Music used to be expensive, now it's basically free. Mm -hmm. And every song that is released is on YouTube, and for $9.99 a month, you get a YouTube premium, and there aren't even any ads. So for, for for ten bucks a month, one hundred twenty five bucks a year, whatever it is, you can get all your music for free or Spotify premium for for absolute in my for free. Yep. So I'm, I'm not go, a big fan. I'm not a big fan either. Yeah. Or you, you can go to the link I put in the show notes and for ten there you nine, go ten ninety nine. I think it is. You can get the deluxe version of Lucky Us. Bet. But you know what? I will say this: have a tissue box at your side because some of these songs. They might reach places. Oh, you never know. Tony, thank great you Scott. so much for, for coming on the show. It's been so great talking to you. Now Thanks it's for what? all the music. What time, and... what time is it? What time is it? It's uh, four in the morning, right? Yeah, it's about 322 here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I still got a good remember, half hour in me yet. I remember I remember those days. It's <laughs> it's 1222 here, and I'm gonna go eat lunch. Wonderful. Well, you have a great day, my friend. You too. Thank you. See you, kids. Bye bye.